we know that you are worthy of all the praise. Your son is worthy of all the praise because of the blood that was spilled. And we're so thankful for that. God, I pray that you would help us to grasp a hold of what that means because we know that that means that we are no longer living for ourselves, but we are representing someone much greater than us. And that begs for us to live a certain way because we know that we can either bring a stain to your name or honor to your name. And so I pray that you'd help us to be those that are bringing honor to your name. We look forward to hearing from your word today because we know that that's what gives us life. That's what changes us. That's what makes us more like your son. And that's what we want. And that's what you want for us. So we pray that you'd help us now to hear from your word. In Christ's name, amen. Man, it's awesome to be here this morning. Amen. Um, before our guest speaker comes this morning, uh, I want to make sure that uh, everybody knows that in just a few weeks, August 24th, we're going to be having a, an all-church barbecue. There's a lot of events that are going to be going on that afternoon. Now, if you were just planning on missing that, knock it off. <laughs> this is going to be a great time. We're going we're gonna to have uh, food. We're going to have games and events, but also one of the things that matters a great deal to us, especially as we've been growing, we've been trying to find ways for us to be able to uh, make sure that we can sit down and do the Lord's Supper and baptisms as a church. We're trying to find some way to make sure that everybody can participate, and in particular, uh, families, we, we are, are noticing even this morning that we got lots of little guys running around here. How will we let them be a part of these key moments in the church. And we're going to have baptisms out there in the park, but also we're going to have Lord's Supper where uh, all of us are going to be sitting around in groups and we'll take that together. And so it's going to be the feeding of the 1,000, all right? So uh, I'm hoping we can get a few of you there, but I would love uh, to see your faces, not just for the meal or the game times, but for the fellowship that matters as a church. Amen. So set that time aside on Saturday. We'll get you uh, all of the, the details about how it breaks down. Some people are wanting to know at what time we're doing that. We have all of those things uh, ready for you. Uh, but make time to be there on that Saturday. We do have a special speaker. Um, some of you haven't had an opportunity to hear him. That's uh, going to get remedied this morning. Uh, but Timmy is one of the young men that grew up in our church. Tiny Tim, he towers over me, he and AJ. <laughs> but I was thinking about this passage uh, this morning. It says, you then, my son, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Uh, Tim has been fulfilling that passage. Uh, he's not only a great teacher, uh, he is an amazing discipler. Uh, he is an evangelist that is out in our community. Um, he is uh, a young guy that has been faithful not only in the church to fulfill a job, which some people see uh, their role in ministry as a job, but he is fulfilling a ministry that God has given him uh, in a successful way. And there has been many moments along the way of suffering and testing where your faith has been on display. So, Tim, we're all proud to have you in our church, and we're thankful that you're here this morning to preach for us. So why don't you come up? Let me, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, finally. 
All right, now I can pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for uh, this young man. I thank you for what you've given him, uh, the ability to preach your word, uh, the heart to see people come to you, uh, and the passion to make sure that there's no one that's left behind. Uh, every single person he runs into is a candidate for heaven. And so we pray this morning that you would enable him to preach your thoughts, your desire, your heart for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Uh, it's a blessing being here with you. Uh, just Pastor Justin was actually my youth pastor way back in the day, so this is a great opportunity to preach one of his messages that he preached a long time ago. Um, hopefully I do okay. Hey, before we get started, uh, would you, to the person next to you, compliment them on one thing? Okay, ready to go. One thing. Be honest. Don't lie. We're in church. Compliment on one thing. Okay. So, what did we just what did we just do? What did we just do? Hopefully, you were honest with the person next to you because we're in church. We don't, we're not going to lie, but verbally. You just complimented them and clapped for them. You said, hey, nice face, nice nose. Your shoelaces are so great today, okay? Hopefully it's one of those things. We do this a lot. Have you ever wondered why, like at a basketball game or football game, why we smack our hands together? Because we can't yell across the field that they're doing a great job. So this is the loudest thing we can do. Unless you're that dad that yells, but don't be that dad. So we do this, why? To show our encouragement and our appreciation. And I hope at the end of today's message that you would hear that and that you'd understand how to hear that, not just from men, not just from people, but from God, from Him. If you would uh, open your notes here this morning, it says this, from a young age, there's something inside of us that wants to hear, I'm proud of you. From athletics to music to our occupations, each one of us wants to hear that we've done well. Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, writes to the New Testament believers about this very thing. The only difference is instead of receiving another man's praise, Peter exhorts his readers to live a life so that they will hear it from their Creator. Let's all stand and read our portion of Scripture here this morning. We're going to read the entire context of 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 11 here this morning. It says this, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these things he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purifications from his former sins. And here's our two verses for today. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the family of God. I thank you for this church. I I thank you for the many families that have ministered to myself, my wife, our family, for years. I thank you for the relationships here at this church. I thank you, God, for your word, and I pray that it speaks loudly to us today, and that we can go from here applying these things with all diligence so that we might hear those words one day, well done. God, we love you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can take your seats. In verse 10, we're going to unpack our context for today. It says, therefore... In verse 10, you see that? Now, anytime you see that in Scripture, you've got to back up, right? You've got to see why it's there for. We heard from last week from Pastor Matt about the blessings in verse 8. What were those blessings? That if these qualities, that list, are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Why is this passage here in verse 10? It says, therefore, go back to verse 9. Peter also gives you a warning. He says, hey, if you lack these qualities, you're blind and short-sighted. You forgot something. You forgot what Jesus did for you on the cross. In verse 10, it says, therefore, brethren. Now, this is important that we take this because it's going to set the stage for the rest of the message for this morning. Peter writes to brethren. Now, these believers that he was writing to would have been about uh, around 63 and 64 AD. So just 30 years after Jesus rose again from the dead. And he speaks to you and I here this morning. Pastor Matt encouraged us also in verse 1. What does it say? It says, This letter is written to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, the same precious faith as ours. The brothers and sisters that we encouraged each other with this morning, one another, that's a precious faith. You have something in common that's precious. This is important to consider as we proceed and be reminded of that Peter is speaking to the household, the household, the family of God. To those people that would call God their perfect father, that Jesus is their king. The question is, is that you here this morning? Now, he continues to speak to believers, and, and this is where we get into our, the meat of it this morning. It says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. Now, Peter says, be all the more diligent. If he, uh, if he had just said, uh, be diligent, right there. Hey, brethren, be diligent to make certain these things. Be diligent. It would be kind of like, I need to get some groceries, and so I'm going to make a list, and I'm going to go get them. I might might tell someone that I need to get some broccoli, and I need to get some chicken, and get some turkey. I'm going to be diligent to to set out a portion of Saturday to get those groceries. I'm going to be diligent. If he said, hey, I'm going to be really diligent, he said, hey, believers, be really diligent, it'd be like, okay, now I'm going to go get a magazine. I'm going to cut out the coupons, and I'm going to make sure that 
Uh, this person knows that I can buy some stuff for them and this person. No, what does he say here? Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. What he's saying here is he says, be all the more diligent, similar to someone who knows that Black Friday's coming. So two days before Thanksgiving, call up the family and say, hey, we're all going to Fred Meyer. I'm bringing the Traeger. We're going to be first in line because I get to get those six-pack of off-brand tube socks. We got to get them. Black Friday's coming. Don't you know? I'm zealous. I'm going to completely change my schedule around. I'm going to take pains. I'm going to hurry. I'm going to be all the more diligent. I'm active in this. There's no slothfulness. There's no sluggardly. There's no back seat, no couch living. No, he's saying, I'm going to hurry. I'm going to be zealous. I'm going to be all the more diligent to do what? What does it say? Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. Now, I encourage you to write this down. Those two words there, calling and choosing, those are two important words in the New Testament. And that first one there of calling, we see in Scripture The calling is when God generally and specifically invites someone to himself. Calling is when God generally and specifically invites someone to himself. Similar to a general mass mailer saying, hey, y'all got to show up for the barbecue that's coming later this month. And then specifically saying, do you know that there's going to be barbecue, right? A text message saying, do you know there's going to be barbecue? That's what Uh, calling means, okay? A general and a specific invitation. And the second one is choosing, or in maybe some of your translations, it says election. This is when God handpicks you to be a part of his family. Before time began, you can write this down, Ephesians 1, verse 4 through 5. It says that God handpicked us to be a part of the family of God. It wasn't random that he chose you before time began to be his. Okay? He said, I want you, like in, you know, when you're five or six and you get chosen to be a part of that awesome dodgeball game, the eternal dodgeball game of God says, hey, I picked you. You're on my team. I want you. No one else. You're first in line. You don't get picked last. Understanding these two terms, choosing and election, choosing and calling, this verse is implying something for us. He says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to confirm this calling and election. This verse is begging us to ask a question. Why would ever someone doubt that? Why would ever someone not have assurance that they're called or chosen? What would cause someone to be uncertain about these things? What would cause someone to not have assurance that they're in the family? To answer that question, I'd like to take you back to fifth grade band. Now, before I was in full-time ministry... I was a band director, and the thing about fifth grade band is you get a bunch of kids who have no idea what they're doing, right? How many, how many, how many people were in band way back in the day? Okay, now there's a lot of people's hands up, and that's because they don't want to admit it, that they played piccolo or tuba or the saxophone or something like that. Now, as a, as a band director, everyone comes into class, right? For the first day, and you begin to teach them things like posture, how to sit, how to hold your instrument, your embouchure, how you, how you make a face, right? And uh, you learn how to buzz, you learn how to hit a snare drum, or how to blow air through an instrument. And then all of a sudden, 
the three greatest songs that have ever been written are learned by these fifth graders. Mary Had a Little Lamb, <laughs> Go Tell Aunt Rhody, and Hot Cross Buns. You guys remember those songs? Remember that song? Okay, okay. Now, thank you for not clapping. Um, <laughs> I tried my best to sound like a fifth grader. Now, <laughs> class would begin, and I, I would write up on the board. I'd say, okay, warm-ups, Mary had a little lamb, go tell Aunt Rhodey, don't hit your neighbor with a drumstick, and then I'd write uh, hot cross buns. And most of the time, we'd play through the songs, and they get them right. True? Most of the times, they'd go through it, and they get them right. But sometimes, we'd start playing Mary had a little lamb, and I'd conduct. Dun, 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 dun. But then all of a sudden you hear and you're like, what is happening? And you look over and there's this fifth grader who's so confident in playing hot cross buns. It's, it's the song that he practiced for 10 minutes at his house last night and he's practicing and he's so, and then all of a sudden he looks around and he's like, mm, what's happening? I've made a terrible mistake. This is this is not good. And he starts to slink back into his chair, and he's like, I'm, I'm never going to be in band again. I'm going to quit. This is the worst experience of my life. Everyone's going to make fun of me. I'm done. Now, we would sort things out, and we would uh, help out the student get the right music and so forth. But for a moment, as I'm looking out, I would see sheer terror on their face. Fear dominated their lives. Why? Because they had a lack of uncertainty. They had a lack of certainty. They weren't certain about their situation. They had a lack of assurance that what they were doing was right. Now, have you ever felt like life was a fifth grade band? In a more personal way, we see this play out in our families, true? On social media, in our homes, on every sitcom across every channel. We see a son or daughter is born into a family, right? They didn't get to choose their last name. They didn't get that. That was chosen and elected for them. They also don't define how that family's going to operate. Mom and dad set down the rules that, hey, in this house, we're going to serve God and go his way and not our way. We're going to love one another as we would want it back. True? It sounds kind of like the great commandment. And the parents, these Christian parents who fear God, would instill these things into their children. But then something happens. A child starts playing a different tune. A child starts playing a different tune, right? And mom and dad says, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the child says, well, as for me and myself, I'm going to serve myself. And this pattern can continue over and over. And it can happen over many years. And what can happen is they continue to play a different tune over and over and over. You know what goes into the mind of the student? No one gets me. I don't, I don't feel like anyone loves me. I don't feel like I'm heard. I don't feel like even my parents get me. I don't think anyone around me gets me. I'm not loved anymore. I'm not, I'm not assured of even my relationship with my mom and dad. Has their last name changed? No. Can they remove that title of being a son or daughter? No. 
But in a far greater way, what happens in our relationship with God? We struggle with this as well, true? He handpicked us from eternity past. He picked us to be a part of his family. He chose us. He called me to be his own. He called me specifically to be his own. He said, if you would just believe in me, trust in me, trust in me as your Savior. You can't do it on your own. That I died, was buried, and rose again. I, I did all those things for you. Believe in me. You will become my son or daughter. And after all that, and his daily reminders of love, true, of opening up his word, and just by looking out, and he screams and yells at us that he loves us, he loves us, he loves us. You know what we do? We play a different tune. We choose ourselves. And we begin to question, am I really saved? Does he really love me? I don't feel connected to him anymore. I don't sense that I'm growing. I don't sense that I'm near to God. I don't sense I'm even in the family anymore. And what it is, is that I want to make certain my passions and callings. I want to play my tune. I want to make certain and be assured of my idea of how this life's supposed to go. I don't want to be all the more diligent about his plan. I want mine. And so the question is for us, as we read this, is what tune are you playing here this morning? What tune are you playing? Do you sense a disconnect between God and yourself and his people? Your last name hasn't changed, true? Your last name hasn't changed. You're child of God, and that's never going to change. You're saved. But because of your choices, are you doubting that you're in the family? Because of you're playing a different tune, are you doubting you're close to God, that you're in the family, that you're not assured This would be my encouragement. Confess that. Confess your selfishness. Confess the sin. Say, God, I've been focused on my tune way too long. I've been focused on my idea way too long. Run to him. Run away from the sin. Run to him. And you know what will begin to happen? You will begin to join in with the song that everyone else is playing, a song of worship to our great God, and you'll be playing the same tune of worship to him. You'll be assured of your salvation. Why? Because no longer are you focused on your song. You're focused on his. In your notes, it says this, that an unflappable believer must examine their relationship in God. An unflappable believer must examine their relationship in God. Now, thankfully, Peter continues. And he says, make certain of your calling and choosing. And then he makes an absolute amazing promise right after this. He says in verse 10, Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And when we read that, we're like, say what? Yeah, right, Peter. What? You will never stumble. Okay, back that up, Peter. How could you say that? How could you say that if I practice these things, I'll never stumble? Well, he was pretty qualified to speak to this, if you think about it. He was called by Jesus in one moment, a victory. And then the next, he was questioning Jesus about which side of the book to cast the nets on, stumble. In one moment, he was walking on water, 
Let's just pause for the, because we know the rest of the story. But he, dude, walked on water, okay? He walked on water. That's impossible, unless in God's strength. And then the next moment, his eyes taken off of Jesus, and what happened? Sinking, drowning, completely wet. In one moment, he made a bold declaration saying, Jesus, I will always follow you. You are the Son of God. And in the next moment, a stumbling. I, never, I, I don't know who that is. I don't know who he is. And then running away in shame. You see, Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, he could speak to victories and stumblings. True? And the word here in verse 10 when it says, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. That word practice refers to a continuous, repeated action. Something over and over and over. If you're here this morning, your eyes are dry, start blinking. Okay? you got to continuously blink or get some eye drops. Someone who doesn't want to lose their strength because they've been working out, what do they do? They continue to work out to get those muscle gains. A photographer, they don't start shooting weddings. They don't start shooting weddings, or however you say that. What do they do? They, do, they go to still life. They say, hey, mom, can we do a photo shoot, <laughs> right? They practice on things that are basic before going up to the big leagues. They practice those things over and over and over to hone their skills. And what is Peter asking and exhorting his believers to do here in verse 10? He's saying, practice these things. Now, I believe that these things is not only referring to the immediate context in verse 10. What is our immediate context? Practice what? Making sure, being all the more diligent to make sure our calling and election. But I also believe that the immediate larger context in first chapter of Second Peter is what he's referring to as these things. We read it this morning. We've been studying it this summer. Peter is telling his fellow brethren to be all the more diligent to confirm their calling election like a Black Friday shopper by practicing their what? Verse 5, faith. Practice their faith, actively trusting God knows best. Practice their moral excellence, actively choosing what is right. Practice knowledge, actively understanding what to do when needed. Practice self-control, actively saying no to self and yes to God's leading. Practice perseverance, actively contending for God to be glorified. Practice godliness, actively worshiping in your heart and in your life. Practice, I'm sounding like a broken record, practice brotherly kindness, actively loving those of the household of faith. And finally, practice love, actively sacrificially loving everyone just as Christ has done for all. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice, right? We're talking about practice. Now, to help you understand Peter's point here, and I think we get it, but to maybe unpack it for us here this morning, I want to go back to my band geek days. Now, before I was a band director, I actually was a band student. And um, I went to college, went to Corbin, and as a music student, as a music ed student, you have to um, do these things called recitals, okay? Which proves to everyone around you that you can like play your instrument in your faculty that when they sign on the paper, that they're, you know, that person's qualified to teach. Now, I, uh, I was a sophomore, junior, and um, I was really interested in some things. Intramurals, 
Uh, I was interested in campus life, getting a ring by spring. I was, I was interested in a lot of things. Practicing was not one of them, okay? Yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll, it's okay. I'll just figure out these songs. I'll, I'll do okay. And I was given an Italian trumpet solo when I was a sophomore junior, and it was pretty hard. I got it. It's okay. And so I played through it a couple times, and I practiced it once a week, and, and the day of the recital came. And my wife's not here in this service, but she was actually there um, for this performance. And uh, so uh, it's, they list out who goes, and, okay, Tim, your turn to come on up. And I walk up on stage, my accompanist is there, and everything blanked. Everything blanked. I start playing, and then I st- it's like I forget how to play trumpet. I started thinking about every missed note, and every single missed note that I play. I'm so anxious, so much so I start sweating. And as I'm holding my trumpet, my hands literally are shaking, and my mouth is shaking. Everything's shaking. I'm freaking out, and I didn't look out in the audience, but I knew what they were thinking, like, what is going on? This guy thinks he's going to be a band director. He can't even play a solo. I'm thinking about all these fears, right? I'm thinking about all these things as I'm playing. And I look over at my accompanist, and he's playing, and he's focused on his part, and I'm just like, and and he looks up at me, and and it ends on a minor chord. I'm like, (laughs) hold my trumpet, I bow, and then I walk off the side of the stage, I set my trumpet down, and I walk out the back of the stage, and I slam the door. I start going, God, what? What just happened? I'm supposed to be a teacher? I can't even play my instrument. I can't even play a solo. I just, just completely yard sailed in front of everyone. I can't even do this. I'm supposed to teach kids how to do this. I can't even play it myself. I stumbled mightily. I stumbled mightily. And I began to ask question after question after question. Now, after many melodramatic days, what was staring at me right in the face was that I had not practiced. I had not practiced. I stumbled mightily because I had not practiced. I'm holding here a book of a gentleman who wrote this book who grew up in the church. Someone who grew up in a family, homeschool family, great morals, great boundaries, lots of rules, but grew up the right way Supposedly, everything on the outside looked good. Everything on the outside looked like it was together. He found himself leading conferences, speaking engagements, writing books, being a pastor for many, many years. Millions of believers followed his words. Millions of people said, hey, this guy knows how it is. This guy knows how to live the Christian life. This guy knows how to do relationships really well. But recently, he came out as saying that he's no longer a Christian. He's no longer a Christ follower. And he's done with his marriage. How did he get there? How did he get to that point? What happened to bring him to this place of stumbling? How did he get to the point of leaving his marriage and kissing Jesus goodbye? 
He practiced not the great eight that we read here this morning. He, cra- he practiced the fateful eight. He trusted self. He defined his own morals and knowledge, seizing control, trusting his own ability, defining his own standards, pushing his own influence and care. And that list, not just for him, for me. I can find myself in the fateful aid as well. Walking off stage, bruised and beaten by my own slothful decisions of not practicing, kissing Jesus goodbye. You and I can be in that same place. All because we didn't practice and were active in our faith. Now, just a side note, when, when, when Peter says this, to practice these things, it's not only actively now, but also looking to the future. Because if you read the rest of this book in Second Peter, you know what he says are coming? False teachers. He says false teachers are coming. And Peter, like a dollar bill or probably like $100 bill, detective, says you need to know what is true so that when the counterfeit comes, you will not stumble. You will not stumble. Peter gets practicing and stumbling. He gets it. He gets you. He gets me. He gets all of us. The question for you and I here this morning is this. Are your knees wet? I handpicked you from eternity past. Practice these things today, and guess what? Your entrance into eternity will be greatly supplied to you. The question for us as believers is, how do you want to enter eternity? How do you want to enter? Peter states that in this way, being all the more diligent, 
to make certain by practicing to live each moment for Christ and not for self, we will experience an entrance into eternity that's richly blessed, abundantly supplied. In verse 5, it said that we're to supply these things. We're to practice these things. In verse 11, what does he do? He says that God's going to supply these things to you now. God has said in his scripture what this eternity is going to look like. He gives us a little glimpse. He says this. It's a place that's being prepared for us. That there will be no more temptation or pain or fear. There will be perfect unity with everyone. There will be no more fiery darts from the enemy. It will be in an environment that is incomprehensibly beautiful. A long time ago, he wrote this. He wrote an allegory. This isn't scripture, but this is a picture that he wrote based upon scripture of his idea of what scripture looks like, or of eternity, what it was going to look like. And with a little help from him, and I'm going to add a couple things, I think it sets a picture of what this entrance in eternity could look like for you and I. Now I saw in my dream that these two men, Christian and Hopeful, went in at the gate, and lo, as they entered, they were transfigured, they were changed, and they had raiment put on that shone like gold. There were also that men, excuse me, also that met them with harps and crowns and gave them to them. And they had crowns in their hands to lay at Christ's feet, the harps to praise with all and the crowns in token of honor. Then I heard in my dream that all the bells in the city rang again for joy and that it was said unto them, enter ye into the joy of the Lord. And I also heard the men themselves that they sing with a loud voice saying, blessing, honor, glory, and power to be him that sitteth upon the throne and the lamb forever and ever. Now just as the gates were opened to let in the men, I looked in after them, and behold, the city shone like the sun, the streets also paved with gold, and in them walked many men with crowns on their heads, palms in their hands, and golden harps to sing praises withal. There were also them that had wings, and they answered one another without intermission, saying, Holy, 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 holy is the Lord. And after that they shut up the gates, with which I had seen I wished myself upon them. And then... I looked over, and I saw another fellow, and his name was Blaze. He didn't have any crowns in his hands. He had ashes. He smelled like something. He smelled like smoke. And I asked him, Blaze, what happened? Where are your treasures? Where are your crowns? Where are those things to lay at Christ's feet like the other two men? And with head bowed, he answered and said, Sadly, I laid all my treasures up on earth. I was respected by men. I was the envy of all. And I was the most connected on every platform and most commented. I thought myself in good standing with the world as having it all together. But yet I hear, here I stand empty-handed. All the while, when I lived on earth, quietly wondering what God's opinion of me was. Oh, I'm saved, thankful, yes, for grace and salvation, but empty-handed. Sir, please, please, would you go back to my father's house? Would you go back? I have, I have three brothers and two sisters. Would you go back and tell them Tell them to be all the more diligent 
to make certain their calling and election. To practice those things which would cause them never to stumble so that they might hear the words, well done. Would you please go tell them? And then like as John Bunyan put it, I awoke and behold, it was a dream. Just a dream. Hey, hey, hey family, this is not a dream. This is not a dream. This is real. This is real. God desires that every believer would encounter eternity richly. We don't want to be like the other brother. God desires that every believer would encounter eternity richly with him. The question is, here this morning, if you met Jesus, who would you be? Would you be like Christian hopeful, given all those things to then, when they see Jesus face to face, to hand him those things, I did this for you, not for me. Or as you consider your life this morning, are you more like Blaze, looking to the approval of men in the world around you, knowing that someday there'll be nothing except ash? There's a song that I sang a lot growing up in this church. Uh, Dave sang it a lot, and he led it. And I want to lead us here in this song this morning. And it asks this question, when it's all been said and done, did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? Let's sing it. And when it's all been said and done And there is just one thing that matters And did I do my best to live for truth Did I live my life for you it's all been said. And when it's all been said and done, and all my treasures will mean nothing, and only what I've done for love's reward will stand the test of time. Sing, Lord. And Lord, your mercy is so great. He's gracious. And that you look beyond our weakness and find purest gold and miry clay, making sinners into saints. I will always. And I will always sing your praise. And here on earth and ever after, and for you showed me heaven's my true home when it's all been said and done. Believe you're here this morning. Let's close our eyes and pray to, our, pray to our God. Before I pray, I want you to take a heart check real quick here for a second. What have you been practicing? What have you been running towards? What have you been looking at? 
What has dominated your life? Are you here this morning questioning if you're even in the family? I pray that for all of us, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. And if there's someone here today that doesn't know where they're at, God, I pray that that person, they would come forward, they would speak to a loved one, and they would confirm their calling that just by believing that you died and you were buried and you rose again, they could be their, your child. I pray for all of us that we consider our calling, where we're at with you here this morning, Jesus. Because we don't know when our last breath's coming. You do. And I pray that we live our lives in such a way that we'd hear those words, well done. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for today. I pray that we leave here today changed because of your word and that we apply these things with all diligence, God. Thank you so much. We love you and pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being here. See you at the barbecue.